So great to see you guys. My name is Christopher. And as Nicole said, this next week, I'm going to be a part of VBS around here. You know, if, if you hang out around, around River West at any time at all, um, we, we love kids. Um, and that, that passion to actually see the next generation of Jesus followers uh, raised up. It's not something actually that just stays contained in here. That's a passion that spills out in so many of our international partnerships. They're driven by this desire, this dream to see God raise up just generations of Jesus followers. And so uh, as many of you know, uh, Pastor Adam and, and actually Pastor Jeff are over there with 30 high schoolers in South Korea. I got an update last night and a picture of, of the team. Uh, this was right after, that's a lot of high schoolers, by the way. Um, it was right after their, their morning worship service, worshiping with um, the members of the Ilsan community. Um, folks that, that actually call Ilsan home have been impacted by different kinds of disabilities. So over the last week, our high schoolers have been spending time with them doing different projects. I got an update from Adam and he said, we just came back from worshiping and going to church with uh, these folks at Ilsan. We didn't understand a word that they were saying, but the joy of Jesus was palpable. And, and, uh, and so I'm I'm certain that we'll hear testimonies and stories of what Jesus has done through that time. Three weeks ago, I was with a team from River West, and we were in Myanmar, and we were doing two things. We were conducting a VBS uh, program for around 200 kids that live in these these boarding homes um, that are supported um, by by local uh, Burmese partners and led by a pastor, an amazing man named No Pum. While we were there, we were blessed with, with medical professionals, doctors, and nurses on our team that were able to conduct around 200 wellness checks and give medicine to 200 kids. This is a total miracle because you can't really bring medical supplies into Myanmar. And so this was one of the most faith-building uh, just adventures of kind of just going, okay, Jesus, we're trusting you to provide the medicine that we need to orchestrate this whole thing. The Lord showed up in a powerful, powerful way, and many, many kids from the community that had never heard the Jesus story before got to actually experience a VBS program, just like many here this week will get to hear about Jesus this week. While we were there, the kids in the boarding home wanted to send a greeting um, to you, to the River West family, in both English and in their dialect, Burmese. So there's a short video that I want to show. It's absolutely indecipherable. <laughs> and that's my experience pretty much in Myanmar 90% of the time. But what they said is, hello, River West Church, Mingalaba. Uh, which means hello, it's, it's their greeting. And, and these kids know that the love of the River West community is behind them. Um, and they know that we're praying for them. So thank you for your prayers and for the support that you've given for so many of these ministries that are actually raising the next generation of Jesus followers up. Next week, Pastor Guy is actually going to take the entire service and actually um, share testimonies and stories how God has divinely uh, orchestrated this partnership between our church and Pastor Nopum. I love that man. I love him so much. He's become such a good, good friend. Love the way that Nopum has a vision to see uh, a generation of church planters and leaders raised up through these boarding homes so that the name of Jesus can actually be heard in regions of Myanmar where Christians are persecuted. In fact, what you'll hear next week is actually one of the ways that God has led Nopum and his ministry to grow and expand is they're going to be starting up a boarding home in Rakhine State. Now, if that sounds familiar and you've been reading the news, that's the epicenter of the Rohingya refugee crisis that's, that's been going on. This is a very, very, very difficult place to actually proclaim the name of Jesus and to build up a church and actually leaders from 
from his ministry feel that the Holy Spirit is calling them to take the name of Christ into this place so that hurting hearts can receive the hope of the gospel. How awesome is that? No, that's really awesome. You're just mystified. I know. It's amazing. It's awesome. Next week, Pastor Guy is going to be sharing about that. However, today, as we wrap up our first John series, we're actually going to shake things up and do things a little bit differently today. And I'm really, really excited about what the Lord is going to do in our time together. First off, I'm going to preach a shorter message than usual, which for some of you, you go, that's a total miracle. (laughs) Right there. That guy's long-winded. You know, it's like, this is already his best sermon, you know, ever. (laughs) But secondly, what we're going to do is is actually towards the end um, of, of the message time, I'm going to invite a close friend of mine, uh, Eric Larson, to come up and share a testimony of what Jesus has been doing in his life and his family's life over the last year as the Larsons have just been walking through a very painful, difficult trial. You get blessed with the gift of actually hearing a testimony of what Jesus is up to in this family um, that is such an integral part of our River West family here. And so to kick off our time, we're going to jump into the scriptures as we always do. So if you have a Bible, turn to the last chapter of 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to jump right in at verse 6. If you'd like a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers will come around, get a Bible in your hand, turn to 1 John. It's towards the end of the New Testament. We're going to be jumping in chapter 5. Verse 6, listen to the testimony that John has to proclaim to us this morning. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies. Because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit and the water and the blood. And these things agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is God's word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, this testimony that you have preserved for us. I pray, Father, that it would set us free from anything that's interrupting, Father, your life, your joy, your promises in our lives, Lord. Like John, Father, this morning we want to Be a people who hear and believe the testimony that your spirit has to say to the church. So give us open ears and open hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Perhaps you notice as I read our passage this morning that the word testimony is repeated at every turn. You see the word testimony, it it showed up nearly in almost every verse. 
eight times in the eight verses that we read aloud this morning, this word testimony appeared. I think it's interesting as John wraps up his letter, he actually brings us as the readers of this letter to this moment of invitation where he extends to us this opportunity to believe the testimony of Christ in the hopes that we might become a testimony for Christ. That is John's hope. That is his primary concern as he brings this letter to the closest. Everything that he's testified to, the simple invitation to us to believe the testimony of Christ so that we might become a testimony for Christ to others. It's not an overstatement to say that that first John, this little letter, that John's primary concern was to actually give a testimony so that we might believe the gospel. In fact, you know, first John, it's often referred to as an epistle of love, but it loses its power if we ever forget that this is actually an eyewitness testimony to events that actually occurred in history, written by a man who walked with Jesus, had intimate access to Christ, and was one of his closest friends. And I think this explains why John, when he began his letter way back in chapter 1, verse 1, began by testifying about what he had seen and heard and touched. In fact, just go back to chapter 1, a little refresher here, about how John began his letter and pay attention to the way that he frames what he says to the church through this lens of a testimony. So in verse 1, chapter 1, John wrote, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. You know, if the credibility of a testimony is measured by how intimately acquainted a person is with events or details that occurred in history, no one was better suited to testify to Christ than his best friend, John. And he was part of Christ's inner circle. And in every major event in Christ's ministry, John had a front row seat. And so if he stood on this stage this morning, I imagine the old fisherman and son of thunder would squint at us with conviction and tell us, I was there on the day that Jesus was crucified and nailed to the cross. I was right there. I looked up. Christ spoke to me from the cross. I was there in his last moments. I was there on the day that a rumor came to us and, and we heard that the tomb was empty. And Peter and I, we ran to the tomb and I was faster than him. And so I got there first and we walked inside and he was not there. I was there on the day with the other disciples with doors locked for fear of the Jews when the risen Christ appeared and said, peace be to you. He breathed on us and we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a ghost. It was the real Jesus. And we even ate fish together in that room on that day. Many years later, 
I was on the Isle of Patmos and Jesus appeared to me again, except this time he was in his full glory and his eyes were burning like 10,000 suns and his voice roared like a waterfall as he showed me a kingdom prepared for everyone who believes that defies description and is too wonderful for words. He showed me things that would come and how our Savior one day will return to make all things new. And that same Savior, whose name is faithful and true, sent me to proclaim and testify to you that he's not dead, that he's risen from the grave, and he's coming back again. And so I am telling you this testimony so that you might believe in the name of Jesus and have life in his name. That's John. (laughs) He saw his life because he believed the testimony of Christ as a living testimony to others and poured his life out, giving testimony to Christ. You know, even though John's eyewitness account is not rivaled by anyone else that has lived in history, and it ought to be enough for us to believe the testimony of Christ, the apostle deep down knew as he wrote this letter that there were actually also many false teachers going around and they had their testimonies too, which involved ecstatic visions and revelations that they claimed directly came from God that were revealed to them And so to set the the record straight, what John does in deep humility, actually, is he points beyond his own personal experience, what he had seen and heard and even touched. And he pointed beyond the testimonies of these false teachers to a far greater witness, namely God himself. And so that's what he does in the passage is he shows us that the ultimate testifier, the first testifier that we can trust is actually the Lord. He does this in verses six to nine. Let's read those verses again because they're thick with meaning. John says, this is he who came by water and the blood Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Now listen to this in verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. Now, If you were here last week, Pastor Adam did a wonderful job explaining how each of these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, testify to something unique about Jesus' divinity, about his humanity, about his sacrifice. I'm not even going to try to explain all of the meaning in this verse right here. What I want to to impress upon you, I think, is this simple truth John's trying to relate to us that if we so readily believe the testimony of men, we should believe the testimony of God because it's greater and it's true. You know, isn't it funny, if you think about it, how readily we actually accept the, t- the testimonies of total strangers in our day and age. Ever since the advent of Yelp and Google reviews, I noticed that I spend an inordinate amount of time reading the testimonies of complete strangers and assessing their reviews carefully before I make what I consider a major decision. Some of you laugh. I know that you probably do the same thing. My wife mocks this. I feel like I need to collect the data, and I need to do my homework before we purchase a mattress. And so 
I consult Yelp. I've never met Bob from Connecticut. Never met him. You know, but his one-star review, it had me a little bit worried. You know, he gave the mattress one star, and my curiosity compels me. You know, Bob believes that this mattress mattress is, is not fit for a dog to lay on. And I find, like, I, I read these reviews, and I start building a case and reading them out loud to my wife. Like, listen to this one. You know, <laughs> like, if we want to, like, purchase something, a sprinkler system or just something dumb. I, I actually give credence and I give authority to these strangers that I've never met before. Why do we do that? Well, we so readily believe these people. They might all be liars. Or they might be crazy people. Who knows? We've never met them. And yet we believe their, their testimony. We readily accept their reviews. Now, when it comes to choosing a mattress, by all means, yelp away. But when it comes to choosing what you're going to believe about Jesus, there is only one testimony that you can stake your life on. And it's not the testimony of fallible men. It's the testimony of God. It's the testimony of the scriptures inspired by the Spirit that tells nothing but the truth and the whole truth to us. It's the testimony of God that we call the gospel a testimony that God has been proclaiming since the beginning as he promised a Messiah who would undo the cruel effects of sin and minister grace to us so that we who are separated from God and dead in our sins can be made alive in Christ. And this is the testimony that as John concludes his letter, he wants it to shine brightly and take center stage. So in verses 11 to 13, he just comes out and in the simplest terms, he tells us what the testimony of God is, what the gospel is in verses 11 to 13. He says, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What is he saying? He's saying, this is the testimony. This is the good news, friends. That through Christ's death and resurrection, God has given back to mankind the thing we lost in the garden when we rejected the testimony of God and stopped trusting God and started trusting ourselves. He's giving us back the thing that we lost. And it's one word. Life. Life. You know, when we hear the promises in Scripture that tell us that God loved the world so much, he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's supposed to electrify us. It's supposed to awaken every desire for what we're looking for and what we're made and created for, this word life. But unfortunately, I think when we hear the promises of eternal life, we think that that promise of eternal life is something that's only applied to us after we die, as if the gospel is only really good news for dead people. (laughs) That that's where eternal life actually clicks in. But the truth is, this word life, it doesn't primarily refer to quantity of life, but to a quality of life. It absolutely refers to life eternal, everlasting, that is without limit and without end. But primarily, 
this word, life, is meant to actually convey a quality of life. In fact, the Greek word for life is a really unique word. It's one of the most beautiful Greek terms in the New Testament. It's the word zoe. That word, what it actually means is it describes the life that uniquely belongs to God. That's zoe, the life that belongs to God. In the Greek language, there's actually many words for life. It's describe the life of a plant or a living thing or an animal. There was just words that would actually classify an animate thing from an inanimate thing. But zoe was actually reserved to describe the kind of life that courses through our living God. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, that's Zoe. Not just life insurance, like we get to go to heaven after we die, life in abundance. That's what Jesus came to give to everyone freely who trusts in his death on their behalf and publicly testifies and confesses the name of Jesus is life to the full. Abundant life, the very same abundant life that belongs to God can be ours. A life that is joyful, meaningful, overflowing with love and without limit. And in verse 12, John puts it plainly to us and says, whoever has the son has this kind of but whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And that's the whole point of this little letter, is that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has come so that we might be assured, if we've placed our faith in him, that we are alive and free in Jesus. Amen? Amen. As we believe this testimony about Christ, we put our faith in Christ, we not only receive this life, but John reminds us that we actually become a testimony for Christ. As we believe the testimony of Christ, we become a testimony for Christ in this broken world. That's why in verse 10, John says, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Did you catch that? When we believe the testimony of God about his Son, we put our faith in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we actually become the testimony of God, and his testimony becomes a part of us. And so there is no such thing as a Christian without a testimony. You know, if you hang around church, we do weird things as Christians because I think we compare our testimony to, to one another. And everybody wants, you know, a, just an amazing, powerful testimony. And I think for mixed reasons. For one, you know, I think we want a powerful testimony so that Jesus can be glorified. But many times we want, you know, a powerful testimony just to impress other people too. And, and for years I always felt like kind of a second-class Christian because I didn't have, you know, a testimony that involved like killing people before I, I came to faith in, in Jesus you know, and, and so we can many times diminish the testimony that God has put within us. River Wester's friends, God has deposited his spirit in you. And your life is a unique testimony to the goodness and life of Jesus that somebody needs to hear. That somebody needs to hear. And John knew that. But he also knew the enemy wants to shut us down. He wants us to feel ashamed 
and frightened to tell our testimony. So in the book of Revelation, in my favorite verse in Revelation, there's this scene where Satan is actually accusing the people of God. And in chapter 12, John sees this vision and he hears a voice. And this is what the voice says. The voice says, now. I heard a loud voice saying, now the salvation, listen to this, and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And here's the best part. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even to death. If you've put your faith in Jesus You have a testimony within you and you've overcome the evil one. You're no longer under the authority of this world or Satan. You belong to God. The blood of the lamb has set you free. And now the Lord has called you to be a living testimony to his life and grace to someone. To someone. Over the last year, I've had the privilege walking alongside um, the Larson family and one of my, my closest friends, Eric Larson, as they've been going through a difficult, difficult year uh, filled with many, many, many trials. And as I was preparing and wrapping up uh, our series, Eric, one night we were, were spending time together and he just felt compelled to share a, a story with me of how God has been re- redeeming the hard times that he and his family have gone through. And as I heard that testimony, I felt like the Spirit of God impressed me um, to to actually um, invite Eric to share that testimony with us. And so he's going to do that this morning. Would you welcome uh, one of my best friends, Eric Larson, to the stage this morning. I love this brother so much. He's always more sharply dressed than me. I love him so much. I love you, buddy. Let me pray for him. Um, Father, thank you for the testimony, Lord, um, that you've been writing in Eric's life. Lord, I see the goodness of of Jesus in the way that you have been setting um, my friend that I love free. And how I pray, Father, as he shares this testimony Lord, that these words would be supplied by your Holy Spirit and that this testimony would give glory to you and grace to many here. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Man, it is neat to be be with you. I was with the nine o'clocks earlier, and man, those guys are... They're, they're, everyone's there right on time, right? The whole thing starts up. We come in 10, 15 minutes late. It's, I can't even get here at 11. Uh, my name is Eric. Uh, my wife, Nicole, and I have been uh, going to this church for 13 years now. Uh, we have two beautiful kids. My daughter's nine and uh, my son is six. Nicole started working with the church, I don't know, four or five years ago, and she's the director of counseling and care. And so uh, we just, we love this place. We love the community. We love the friendships. And so... It's uh, super humbling to get up here uh, in front of you. I do not look uh, forward or for opportunities to stand in front of a large crowd ever. Uh, so I'm appreciative of you guys listening to me. So um, so about eight months ago, um, we had a large fire at our house. And uh, the Kaufmans were with us, and uh, they didn't start the fire. Um, <laughs> it, uh, and I have to back it up a little bit because... <clears throat> I am kind of a guy who likes to be prepared. We live in Lake Oswego. I was, you know, born in a similar area, and um, I grew up with the idea of saving money, you know, life insurance, you know, protecting, saving, security. Uh, not not evil things, but just things that, like, we need to be safe. Um, and so... That has kind of blossomed in, blossomed in me as I have you know young kids and a family. How do I protect my family? How do I keep them safe? The world is so scary, uh, and I feel so afraid. I feel so afraid. I, uh, I I joke. I'm six foot five. I stand here and I'm just like I feel so afraid all the time. Seriously, I'm afraid of you know some super bug that's not going to have uh, you know 
antibiotic or I'm afraid of AI or I'm afraid of the economy, you know, doing something weird and I'm not going to be able to, my job won't be there and I, this little life that I have prepared for myself, I won't be able to hang on to it somehow and I need to save up and, um, and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged, you know, friends and like, oh, it's good. You should do, this is good. And I tell people, here's what I've done to save. And like, oh, this is good, good. So that has kind of, that blossomed into a generator that was at my house because, you know, the power could go out at some point. I never does. But if it did, then we would want power. So um, ladies, your husbands who watch sports on TV, be thankful because if you have a husband who does not watch sports on TV, he will be outside building a generator box to protect you. That will, um, so we had left, we were, we were the Kaufmans were going to uh, uh, this fundraiser and my neighbor, Sean, was there, and I said, hey, Sean, you know, he's out there. I've been out there building this box for two years. Uh, and I said, hey, Sean, you know, turn it off the generator when uh, the power comes back on. I was like, sure, no problem. Uh, so we leave, and Amanda, who goes to this church, was babysitting our kids, and we leave to go uh, to this fundraiser. And it's been on for, you know, i got to back up one more story. There's a little bit of pride here, too, because I built this thing, and I never really used it. So when the power went out, I have to tell you, I was actually kind of excited. I, when my wife called me, and it had been raining, it's pouring, and she's like, Honey, my hair is wet, and we're not going to be able to go to this fundraiser. <laughs> Thank God. Honey, don't worry. I have the generator. I'll turn it on. And I literally, while she was blowing, I stood in hero pose for... I said, actually, honey, if, while we're at this event, if you want to tell somebody, it's okay. You can tell them what happened. And Sean texted me. He's like, oh, I see your lights on. Dang you. Mm. So as we're driving back, when the phone rings and Amanda's like, your house is on fire. Your house is on fire. It's amazing how quickly my pride turned to just utter shame. I remember sitting, Kristen Jewelry were in the back of the car, and my wife was, you know, calling the 911 and making sure the fire department's coming there, and I'm driving, and I just, I began to emotionally shut down because I was so ashamed. This wasn't my wife's curling iron. This wasn't the kids on the stove. It was me trying to protect my family, and the thing that I wanted to protect the most is actually the thing that tore, tore down. So, long story short, you know, if you have a generator and there's an emergency, you need to have fuel, so I had three 75-gallon propane tanks next to the generator, um, and they are, when we get back to the house, are shooting flames 20 feet into the air, into the roof of the house, and we had five trucks. It was pouring water for an hour and a half because you can't put out a propane tank. Um, and we had to just sit there and watch it. And the Kaufmans in there, my wife, would just watch something burn that you have put so much energy into. And I sat there in shame because I have been doing this all on my own. I'm so afraid that I can't protect my family that I could have almost killed everybody. And uh, it's amazing how God kind of rocks you sometimes. Not that God starts fires, but man, can he use a fire to rock you a little bit? Huh? There's a passage in uh, Matthew. I love this one. Uh, it's uh, Matthew uh, 8.21. Right. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons, perform miracles? And I will say to them, I never knew you. Therefore, anyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain will come and the streams rose and the winds blew a beat against the house and it did not fall because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains come, streams rose, and the house falls down. I don't think my whole life is built on sand, but it's certainly not all built on rock. I am 
afraid. I'm so afraid all the time. I think about it, I talk about it, and I do things to control it. And so I don't have stone idols and wood idols at home. I don't. I have a. I have an idol in my heart, and it's it's a lie. I believe, and it's that the kingdom of heaven that God has for me is not as good as the kingdom of heaven that I want. I'm absolutely confident that God will give me everything I need to do anything he wants, whatever he wants me to do. And I know that he will, but I'm not so sure he's going to give me everything I want to do everything I want to do whenever I want to do it. So I went to college. I grew up in a wealthy town, and I, we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, and we live in one of the wealthiest places in that country. And so we control things, don't we? Don't we just control things? I control how you perceive me. I control how much money I save. I can control how I do at work. If you're on social media, you're controlling what you put out there and how people receive you and you're valued. And that's an idol. That's a lie that I have believed in As I come back to what the kingdom of heaven is, I'm reminded that sin creates disconnection. If I'm sinning, I'm doing something bad, I think, but what I'm really doing is I'm creating disconnection. If I sin against my wife, I've created a disconnect with her. If I sin against God, I'm disconnected. And I stand before you, friends, that I have been living disconnected. I come to church, we've been here for 13 years, my wife works at the church, But I haven't been alive and free. I have not been alive and free. I have been dead and afraid, consumed with control. And it has made me a prisoner myself. And the Lord has wanted to free me from it. But I don't want him to free me from it, right? It's like like going to a concert to talk with somebody, have an intimate conversation with my wife. I'm not going to bring her to a U2 concert, right? We're not going to have a great conversation there. But if I really want to have a great conversation with my wife, I need to leave the concert. But I don't want to. I saved up for the tickets. I love the band. I, I want to be here. And so I am struggle with this, do I trust the kingdom that God has for me is better than the kingdom I have for I've, I've built for myself? I'm, I'm not only afraid, I'm tired. I wake up early. I got 100 emails a day come in. Um, I have expectations from my family, and I want to be healthy, and we want to retire someday, and we also want to be fit, and we want to make sure that we're living a life with our kids that are rewarded. I want my kids to be good kids and have them be fulfilled. There's so much expectations, and I, I don't do Facebook. If you're on Facebook, then... I mean, you have a whole room of people you don't even know to impress. So I, <laughs> but I'm tired, and I talk to my friends. I'm like, "How are you doing?" Oh, good, good. Tired, Whew, tired, busy right now. I'm coaching this and doing this, and we're running. And none of us, none of my, we're not alive and free. I'm not. I'm scared. I'm afraid. And I don't think that's what God has for me. The 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 gospel that Jesus said when he first says the gospel, it's after he was tempted in the desert, the first words out of his mouth are, the time has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Repent and believe the good news. That's it. That's the gospel. The time has come. What, is that? what if that was really true? What if we are breathing right now, living in the kingdom of God, and we don't even realize it? My buddy, uh, Jared Siegel, he uh, asks always crazy questions all the time. He says, well, what do you th- how do you think the fish feel about water? <laughs> Jared, how the fish feel about water? I don't know how the fish feel about water, Jared. He's like, I don't, I don't think they are aware of it. I don't think they're aware of the water. What if the kingdom of heaven is all around us? 
What if you can connect with the creator of the universe right now and you're not? Now I'm not. Because I'm so busy trying to impress you. I'm so busy trying to save for something later so that when I die, I can be in heaven. Is that, is that, is that what God has for me? Is that, is that the best news that I have, that someday when I die, this will be better? Or can I be alive and free right now? The fire uh, wakes you up when your house falls down. It's amazing how God can speak. Not that he hasn't been speaking the whole time. He's been speaking the whole time. I'm just so busy. I'm so into the concert. I don't hear him speak. And you know what? If I'm honest, I don't want to. You know what I'm really afraid of? I'm afraid that God is going to say something to me to make me do something I don't want to do. That's if I'm just really honest. That freaks me out. He freaks me out. <laughs> but lies don't have to be big, right? They just have to be really deep in our hearts, the lie. And the lie is, I don't trust God. He's not good, and I'm afraid of him. And I tell you this because confession isn't saying I'm sorry. Confession is just telling you the truth. Because you know what repentance is? It's when God tells you the truth. He says, yes, good. Thank, finally, Eric, that finally you're telling the truth. Thank you for telling me how you feel. I know how you feel. Let me tell you the truth. I am good. I do love you. I have the kingdom of heaven right now. Be alive and free. Do not be afraid. I've overcome the whole world and you and your sin. There is nothing to fear. You will never die. What does a man look like who will never die? How would I live? I got, uh, God, I don't feel like God talks to me all that much, but when he does, I feel like sometimes he'll give me a word picture. And the word picture he gave me a couple years ago was this huge sailing ship that I'm this big ship, like back in the, you know, when they used to cross oceans with sailing ships. And I'm in the harbor, and my sails are all uh, bound up, and I'm in the back with a two-horsepower engine, impressing you with all the size of my boat in the harbor that's never left the harbor. Because I don't want to. I like it in the harbor. It's sunny, and you guys are all impressed with my boat, and I don't want to leave. But if I really am meant to be, if I really want to be alive and free, then I have to live as he has called me to live. I have to be who he called me to be or I'm just wasting my life. What good is it to gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? What good is it? What good is it to live in Lego Oswego, live to be 80, and then die? What a waste. What a waste of a boat. It's meant to be in the ocean, but I got to trust God to do it. I have to throw the engine overboard sometimes. I have to let go and say, God, fill my sails and take me where you want me to go because it's going to be so much better. It'll be so much better than this stressed out, overwhelmed life that I've created for myself that I don't want you to mess up. Right? Does this sound so dumb when I say it? I know, I know why John ends the way he does. I can find it. Yep. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to live disconnected, right? Sin equals disconnected. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and given understanding so that we may know what is true and who is true. And we are in him who is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, he is true, he is a true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. Control, self-sufficiency, so many of the things that you might have been impressed, I would, I would have told you about at a party because I was so happy about 
are actually the things that are making me dead and bound up. And I never want fires for you or for me. But man, thank God. Thank God that he frees us up, that he wakes us up sometimes. The fact that the kingdom is heaven is right now. That I'm not going to live to be 80 wishing I had done something with my life that was actually useful and valuable because getting rich and retiring and playing golf with the same four dudes every day is not the purpose. God still speaks. God still speaks to to you. You can hear him through Chris. You can hear him through people. But at the end of the day, if we turn our lives down and we ask him, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? Will you actually use me? Will you pray the scary prayer? The scary prayer that like, do you want me to do something different than I want to do? If we actually did that, he would speak to you. And you could be alive and free right now. Eric's testimony, that's, that's our story. The Lord is wanting to do in us, it really is true, friends, that perfect love casts out fear, casts out everything that's in the way of Jesus. Whatever it is that you brought in here, I believe part of the reason um, that John left us this testimony is so that we could be alive and free in Christ. And so I'm going to pray, and and then we're going to go to the table together this morning. In an act of faith, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal some things that he wants to set some people free from this morning. So let's let's bow our heads, Let's, let's close our eyes, let's bring our hearts before the Lord. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this testimony that, that, that reads us. It, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, if we did not know that your character was loving and true, we'd run from that sword. But, Father, I believe your word reveals our, our need for Jesus, the parts of our lives that are not alive. You give us this promise of life. Life that belonged to your perfect son, Jesus, that he laid down on the cross so that we could have a share of this abundant life for all eternity, but starting now and starting today. The time has come, I believe, Lord, for for many sitting here to come to Jesus, to put their faith in our Savior whose name is faithful and true. And so I pray you would do a work of faith, Lord, this morning. And many, Lord, that have been too afraid to honestly confess the things, Lord, that are cutting them off from you. Those things would fall by the wayside this morning, Lord as we as your people believe this good news that we have a Savior who died so we could be alive. In Christ's name we pray.